Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to, uh, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24? If any of you know uh, your Bible, you're like, uh-oh, what's happening now? Uh, yeah, so we're in a series called Kingdom Living, and uh, this series is all about uh, basically taking the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other and saying, Lord, uh, how are we called to live? Uh, not in this world, Lord God, or even as citizens of this world, but how are we called to live as citizens of what the Bible calls the kingdom of God, what Jesus called the kingdom of God? You see, it's so important that you and I understand this concept because Jesus talks so much about the kingdom. His whole ministry, the whole time he spent on earth, especially the three years before he died on the cross, Jesus went around teaching and preaching and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. Would you look at your neighbor and tell them there's good news? Uh, Today there is good news. The good news is of the kingdom of God and that this world that we see is not everything. That this world we see is not the beginning and the end. That God has something in store for us uh, as his children and as followers of Jesus. And it's so important that you and I understand this. That this life, at the end of this life, what stands beyond our last day here on earth is not nothingness. But instead it is a place that Jesus said he went to prepare before us. He went ahead of us to make a way. It's a promise of heaven. It's a promise of eternity. It's a promise of seeing God face to face one day. It's a promise of being free from sickness and pain and disease. Do you know today that we have to live our lives with heaven in mind, church? That we can't just live thinking that this world is all that we have. All that we see is not all that we have. God has something more for us. God has the promise of heaven and eternity. I don't know about you, but that should fill our hearts with such joy and such peace and such comfort and such confidence knowing those who have gone before us that know the Lord and love the Lord and what we have awaiting us at the end of these days that we have such a short life. Really compared, it's like a vapor, the Bible says, this life. But there's a promise of something beyond that. And so the kingdom of God, Jesus came to show, to demonstrate what the kingdom looks like. And that's why the blind could see. That's why the lame could walk. That's why the dead were even raised to life. Jesus said, I'm giving you pictures of the kingdom of God. And God's word says this to us if we're in Christ. Colossians chapter 3 says that if you and I, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, then something about us, really everything about us needs to change. One of the key things that must change is our perspective. What we see must change. How we see must change. Whenever we look, we have to look all the way up to the heavens, the Bible says, not just look here on earth. And so it says in Colossians 3 that we must fix our eyes on the realities of heaven. Mandy, can I have that water? (coughs) Sorry, I got a little bit of a cough. I'm getting over it. Thank you. It's my lovely wife, Mandy. Everyone say hi to her. Mandy, this wasn't enough water. <laughs> I love her. No, no, no. Can you stay? Oh, geez. Now she has to go get me some water. All right. Let's go. We're going to talk about her a little bit while she's out of the room. Um, no, but let, let's go there. Our first thing has to change. Our perspective has to change. Are you following me today, church? Our perspective. And last week we talked about this, and you don't want to miss this. Now Mandy's going to be mad at you that you brought me some water. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I'm going to see how many bottles of water I can get up here before I'm done preaching. Um, 
first thing, what did I say? Did I talk about your perspective needing to change? Maybe the fifth time I've said this to you. We must fix our sights, not on what we see in this earth, but on heaven, the Bible says. We have to live today in light of eternity. We have to live today with not just our sights fixed on everything we can see, but what we can't see and yet we hope in. And that hope that we have of heaven, the hope of eternity, is something that's meant to motivate our lives, is something that's really meant to inform everything about the way we live today. Are you living your life in light of eternity? Is that your perspective? Or are you just caught up in the affairs of today? Jesus, when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught the principles of the kingdom. He taught about what life was like in the kingdom. And as he shared that and as he taught about it, he taught these incredible things that we needed to understand. And one of the key things that he needed his followers to hear and we need to hear today is this. Don't worry about today. Don't worry about the worries of today. Don't worry about the anxieties of today. That can't add a single hour to your life. He said, instead, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. So our perspective needs to change. Why does our perspective need to change? Because your perspectives ultimately shapes your values. What you see and how you see it shapes your values in this life. And so as it shapes your values, the things that are most important to you and nearest and dearest to your heart. Let me get this water. Mandy, they brought me some water while you were gone. It's you probably ten more. Sorry, church, this weekend I've been battling a cold, and I was telling Mandy before I got I said, I feel so much better, and then the cough comes. So pause with me real quick. I'm just going to pray that the Lord uh, doesn't allow this to be a distraction. Bow your heads with me. <coughs> Lord, I know that uh, you have a word today. Well, I can feel it in my bones, and so would you just come, Holy Spirit, and uh, anoint the ability to speak this out and share this clearly, Lord. We pray against distraction. We pray that our hearts would hear and be receptive to all that you have for us, Lord. So come now. Lord, make it so. And I speak clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our perspective is meant to shape our values. And our values, they ultimately shape our life. That's why Jesus said, and Pastor Ron said it before the offering, that where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. That where the things you value most are, your life begins to wrap around those things. Your life begins to gravitate towards them. You see, your heart is the control center of your life. Your heart ultimately affects every way that you live. And so if we're talking about kingdom living, we're talking about allowing the values of the kingdom of God to shape our very lives today. We must live in light of eternity. We must live not with the values of this world, but the values of the kingdom of God. So look with me here at Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. And we're going to read about this and understand this passage a little bit more this morning. Later on, the Bible says, Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, Lord, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these signs must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested. You'll be persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end 
will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. So Jesus has asked this very important question. Because if we're going to ask a question, and how are we to live in this world around us today, one of the biggest things that we see happening is really the unraveling of the world around us. We've seen it in our lifetime. They've seen it before us. Many of the things we've just read about, how many of you as you're reading, you're seeing headlines, you're seeing pictures that have scrolled across your news feed on Facebook. I mean, you're saying, wow, that, that sounds like he's talking about today. It's because he is talking about today. And he was talking about the last generation. He was talking about what it would be like between the time that he ascended into heaven, 40 days after he rose from the dead, and that day when he will return again and we will see him. That time is the time that we're living in. That time is now extended nearly 2,000 years. And each generation, starting with the very followers of Jesus, they thought it was their generation that would see him again face to face. They saw, thought it would be in their very time, in their very day. And as they asked him this very question, they're asking it in verse 3. <clears throat> what sign will you give us? So we'll know when it's going to happen, so we can predict it, so that we can understand it. We want to know what it will look like in the end of the world. We want to know how we'll be ready for that ultimate day that you've been preparing for us and preparing us for. And Jesus then answers them with all of these signs, all of these things that we should pay attention to. And his followers should see and know. Not know that they mean that the end is right there, but that the end would follow. I want you to understand this today because as we look, the frequency of these events, the amount of these events that are happening in relatively short periods of time connected to one another, they get the attention of so many. And I believe that with that, there's many ways that people respond. One of them you'll see, and you've seen time and again, is we use these events, the very events that Jesus talked about that are connected to the end. We use these events to begin to try to make predictions about when the end will be. You see, this has happened. Uh, some of you might have some books on your bookshelf that you spent money on and you're regretting it because it's, you know, 80 reasons why he'll return in 80 and this and that and however many reasons why this is going to be the moment that Jesus returns. And time and again, a lot of people have made a lot of money, sadly, trying to predict when Jesus will return. And they've been doing it for a long time, and some have been disappointed by it. Others have, been, um, have laughed that off, but, um, but there are some that, that they have bought into that. And that has also given way to others that have come, and they've said, you know, Jesus has returned or the Messiah has returned because I am him. And there have been hundreds of people that have been deceived. I mean, the most gripping one is when 913 people drank Kool-Aid that was laced with poison and died because they believed that a man who was teaching them and leading them was the Messiah, we talk about this idea, that was in some of your lifetimes, that that happened. And you know what I'm talking about, right? That there are those that be led astray. Jesus said, these are the things that are going to happen before the end comes. But when you see them, know that that doesn't mean it is the end, but that the end will follow. And he goes through this series of events, these things that are happening. And he uses this illustration that we talked about last week. And it's the illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. You see... The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. That's the thing that we, we need to grab uh, our heads around and wrap our heads around is, what does that actually mean? Because Jesus came to say the kingdom of God is in your midst. And when he walked this earth, the kingdom of God was advancing and people were coming into relationship with Christ. 
And it says when that happens, an incredible rescue takes place, that you and I are rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and we're brought into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, who's now our king, our Lord, our savior. We're saved, we're rescued. Now heaven is our ultimate home. Now our citizenship is found there, not just here. So I said last week that we have dual citizenship, and you, I hope you've been able to think about that and pray about that, that you're not just a citizen of wherever your passport says you're a citizen. If Jesus has saved you from your sins, your citizenship is in heaven, that you're a part of the kingdom of God, that you now have been redeemed. You're a child of God. You're changed. You're saved. You're set free. It's amazing. And yet, we still have to live here for a little while. I love seeing someone's... Uh, I got to say, it was, during the, uh, it was during the presidential debate happened on Sunday night. I was so thankful. You don't need to raise your hand who it was, but I'm watching as the, my, my news feed on Facebook's going by and the debate's going on, and we could talk about that another week. We will. Uh, <coughs> but someone said this, I'm so glad I'm just passing by, and this is my home. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm just passing by. And uh, you take that for what it, whatever it's worth to you today. It wasn't in my notes. And hopefully I don't get in trouble after this. Um, but heaven is our home. We must live with that perspective, that understanding. And when we think about the idea that it's already but not yet, that the kingdom of God is among us and that we experience that when we see a miracle and we experience people come to faith in Christ, they're coming into the kingdom. I mean, their life has changed. Their citizenship is changing before our very eyes. And when we say it's already but not yet, it, the picture that I painted for you is one of pregnancy. And I think about it whenever my wife and I were expecting our two children that they were already, but not yet. They were here, but not here quite yet. We could see the signs of them. We could see uh, the growth. We could see the development. Even if I placed my hand on Mandy's stomach, I could feel the impact of it as, as I feel a kick or a movement. The same is true of the kingdom. The kingdom's right here. It's already, but not yet. And we won't see the fullness of it until that day when Jesus is appointed. It's a day that we should stop trying to predict and instead focus our attention on preparing for. You see, even Jesus' disciples, everyone's fascinated with predicting. In Acts chapter 1, they said, oh, when's the time? Is now the time? When is the time? Tell us the day and hour when you're going to return. He said, that's not for you to know the day or the hour. But here's what you should know, that you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit empowers your life, and you're going to go and tell everyone about me. Here, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says the same thing to us, church, 2,000 years later. Don't get as caught up in predicting as you are in preparing. Now, so some people, there's different responses we have when we see all these events that are happening in the world around us. One is we become consumed in predictions and paying attention to them and looking and studying and, and kind of getting lost, preoccupied with them. Others, we just ignore them. We ignore them. We write them off. And I want to tell you that we should, they should not be ignored. They should not just lead you to trying to predict dates on a calendar because we're, we're missing the point, but they need to drive us to preparation, to be prepared. When I think about this, I think about my wife and I as we were awaiting the birth of both of our children. Uh, first, for Lily, we had no idea the exact date. I mean, there was an, a date that we were given. I believe it was the 23rd of March. And it's the 23rd of March. That's kind of the date or right around the time that we were meant to be anticipating. It was a week earlier. It was Sunday the 17th. And, uh, or 16th, I believe it was. It was Sunday, and as we're here worshiping in church, we go home, then we go to a party, and we hang out, and my dad was staying with us at, at the time, and it's about 9 o'clock at night, and uh, Mandy sits down in the bed after this long day of work. My dad's in the shower, and he's not far from us, uh, right down the hall there, outside of our room, and uh, Mandy says to me, my water just broke. 
and I, um, I'm freaking out at that moment. Something we kind of prepared for, we were not at all ready for. And I start pounding on the bathroom door. Dad, the water broke. Her water broke. He said, the water is fine in here. It's fine. It's, nothing's wrong with it. I said, no, man, he's going into labor. So we run, man, and I run out the door. We drive uh, up to the hospital. And within four hours, five hours, Lily was born. Um, and so we were given a warning. Um, they said, this was quick. This was fast and unexpected. Um, you better be more ready next time because uh, that was your first child. For your second child, baby could come while you're still in the car, while you're sitting in traffic. You know, So we kind of live with that idea that we needed to be prepared. And so as Josiah is, is living in the womb and as, as he's growing and we're getting closer to that day, um, something happened to both of us. There's like a nesting, a preparation that sets in normally for parents. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You get a couple weeks out from giving birth, and you just start nesting like crazy. I caught that fever for some reason, and I'm feeling all that need, that angst about, are we ready? The, is the room ready? Is the upstairs? And we're, we're converting an office into a nursery for our son, and so I went crazy trying to get ready for it. Uh, it ultimately led to me putting a hammer through the wall and trying to build a closet uh, in there, and I actually have a couple pictures. I did a good job. Uh, it came together. And, uh, and then we got the room ready, and we'll look at the other picture here. This is the whole kind of that part of the room, and looks beautiful, and baby blue, and painted, and, and everything ready, and still we weren't, uh, he wasn't here. So then I went into the next room and kept working. I don't have pictures of that, because it's not done yet, because he did come before I finished. So, uh, so I felt that impulse to nest, and to get ready, and just to be ready. And then uh, nothing happened. Then we got to the 15th of... March, and I preached here on a Sunday morning. We always, those Sundays right before, you're like, I'm on pins and needles ready, and we're about a week away, because, I'm sorry, it's May, May 15th, and he was due like May 22nd, like really close to when, uh, you know, almost a week off from when Lily was born, two months and a week. So we're ready, we're getting ready, and then Monday comes, and Mandy has a doctor's appointment, but I said, you know what, let me just, I'm going to go into work, and, um, you know, I got, I got a meeting with someone here from church, and uh, for lunch, so I'm going to head in, and you give me a call if anything happens there. So I'm sitting at lunch, and here's a picture of me at lunch when I get a phone call. The doctor said I have to go right to the hospital. We're about to have this baby. Really, right right now? No, we got a chance to go home. That's literally me on the phone getting that call. The person that's with me at lunch took the picture of me, uh, so I wouldn't forget that moment. Um, but in that moment, there is this joy and this terror that comes over me, although I'm smiling. Because it's this worry, that my, are we ready? Are we ready? Like, are we really ready? Are we prepared for this moment? Every contraction that Mandy had, everything that was going on in her body, the question was, we weren't getting caught up in that and saying, oh, you're having that contraction, so let's pick the date and let's pick the hour and let's pick the time. What's the baby's weight going to be? You know, those games are fun at some party somewhere, uh, but it isn't fun in that moment. All you care about is, am I ready for that moment? The way that Jesus likens these events to birth pains in verse 8. Did you see that there in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8? These are only the first of the birth pains with more to come. I believe that every time we see one of these events transpiring in the world around us, in the same way that it drove me to ask that question, am I ready? Are we ready? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. Are we ready? Am I ready? Lord, what still needs to be done before that day ultimately happens? And for us, there's a series of things as a parent that need to happen, but Jesus gives us very specific and clear instructions about what needs to happen. And here's what he says in verse 14. You will go around and the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world 
and all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Jesus says that before that, this is what needs to take place to be ready. That all people need to hear the good news about the kingdom. They need to hear the gospel preached. They need to hear it shared with them. This is the ultimate sign. Every other sign, Jesus says, these will come, but these aren't it. This is the sign. This is the moment of preparation. This is what we need to be doing is telling people about the hope that we have, telling people about the good news of the kingdom, realizing that without that, they, they have no hope at all. Because in the world that we live in right now, I want you to know that the events that are transpiring, they are things we must pay attention to. They're not meant to scare us, but they should motivate us to do exactly what Jesus has called us to do. I mean, you don't need to look very far, but let's just look through a few of these here in verse 6. Matthew 24, verse 6. You're going to hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Do you know, there have been wars that have happened. There have been wars in many of your lifetimes and in the lifetimes before you. And even in our very day, we see that there's a Syrian uh, civil war that's happening right now, and it's decimating that part of the world. Look at this picture of an explosion that's taking place in the middle of one of the, right there in the middle of Syria. Look at the next picture, and you'll see the aftermath of what's happening. They're counting the casualties, and the estimates that we're receiving is somewhere near 470 million, or sorry, 470,000 people have lost their lives. Half a million people, roughly, have lost their lives in what's happening here. Can you wrap your head around that with me, church? That is the entirety of the population of Scotch Plains, Fanwood, Plainfield, Westfield, Cranford, Garwood, South Plainfield, North Plainfield, Edison, and you still have about 60,000 people left. Could you imagine that whole entire area that I've just mentioned? Everyone gone. And then some. That's the aftermath of what's happening there. These wars happen and they grab our hearts and we can imagine what is going on, what is happening. Verse 7 says, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There are going to be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. This right here is the aftermath of the earthquake that happened in 2011 in Haiti. This is the aftermath of another earthquake that happened in Japan. You could see just mass destruction. What happens when an earthquake hits? It's there are these plates that are Ultimately, they're normally next to one another, fault lines. And whenever there's extra pressure applied and the fault lines begin to rub against one another more and more, it can create these quakes that will happen. It'll, it'll shake everything around that area, everything around that fault line and the place where they bump together and they come together. Right under the Earth's crust, there's this pressure that is mounting and coming together. The same is true of the world that we're living that the Bible says that, and Jesus says it, as we get closer and closer, there's just like a great shaking that's going to happen. These are the signs of that. These are the pains. These are the difficulties. These are the challenges of the world that we live in. They've been happening since the time of Jesus, and they're going to continue to happen until we see him again. But with each one, we must be motivated to open our eyes, to not ignore them, to realize the time that we're living in. I want you to know that every generation... Since the generation of Jesus' followers, they believed that they were the generation. They believed that, someone agrees with me over here, they believed they were the generation. And I want to tell you that my wife and I talk about it. I believe that, Yolanda, you're here, and this is Mandy's grandmother. You worshiped in this church. 
they believe they were the generation. They believe that they were going to see Jesus face to face. People that have worshipped were 102 years old, and I want to tell you that I believe that those that were a part of our church in the first 10 and 20 years, they believed it more than we believe it today. I'm going to say it again. I believe they believed it more than we believe it today. I believe we've been so caught up with what's happening in this world that I think we've lost that sense of just waiting that at any moment the Lord could return, that any moment we could see him again. That's not meant to cause us fear or anxiety or uncertainty, but it sure should motivate us to go out and to be the witnesses that he's called us to be. It should shake us out of complacency. It should shake us free from just thinking that this world is all that we should focus on. I think we have become so distracted. We're ignoring what's happening in the world around us. We're ignoring all these things. It's not happening, and it's not meant to be any kind of threat or anything to cause you fear. But I want to tell you, church, it's time we have to wake up. We have to realize that Jesus has called us to live. Every time we see something like this unfolding, it should be a reminder to the mission that we have been called to as a people, that we have a purpose in this world, that in the midst of all of that shaking and how the world can become undone, how many people won't know what to do and where to go and where to turn, you need to know that you do know it. You have the hope of the world in your heart. You know the good news, the best news of the kingdom of God, and there are others that have never heard it before. They need to hear it from you. Jesus begins to talk about what's going to happen to believers in verse 9. He said, you're going to be arrested and persecuted and even killed. You're going to be hated all over the world because you're my followers. You think about ISIS that came onto the scene and has come to great prominence over the last few years. And what is it that they're doing that's causing the world's attention to be caught in such an, a great way? They're persecuting Christians. They're, they're targeting these groups of people. And Christians seem to be at the forefront of it. Those that they're beheading, those that they're killing, those that they're ultimately giving them few options as they take over their cities. Convert to Islam uh, and denounce Jesus, turn away from your Christian faith, leave everything you have or die. And there's some that are dying, there are others that are leaving everything and they're becoming refugees in other places, looking for refuge, looking for shelter, looking for something. And some of you, that's the biggest fear of this life, is that in your life you're going to see um, that kind of persecution break out in the world or maybe even come to your doorstep, into your life. And that's one of the greatest things that um, you're concerned about and many are concerned about. I want to tell you that that's not the greatest threat that's facing the church in America today. Do you want to know what the greatest threat that's facing the church in America today is? Complacency. That's the most dangerous thing that we have going on. It's that we're not relying on the power and presence of God anymore. We're not standing and moving in the mission that God has for us as we once did. I want to tell you that as persecution broke out, it broke out in the early church. You know what followed it? Revival. It broke out in China. Do you know what followed it? Millions and millions of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's breaking out right now in the Middle East. Do you know what will come as a result of it? Revival will sweep through that land. You watch two, three, four, five years from now. I want to tell you that complacency is the danger. It's us not living into our purpose and our identity as followers of Christ. Because I want to tell you, Jesus said it. If you're a follower of mine, you have to expect that trouble's coming your way. So if you're living your life and there's no trouble showing up, something might be wrong. Are you stepping out? Are you becoming a chameleon? Are you hiding back? Are you shrinking back? Because if you're living as a comfortable Christian, that probably means some part of your life is filled with complacency. There's something you're hearing because that's really not what Jesus has called us to. And if we've said we're in and we're following you, it's not really what we signed up for. There's nothing comfortable with taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. And he didn't come to make us uncomfortable. 
He came to accomplish his mission through us. So he came to see lives change for eternity. And as you and I come to faith in him, he changed us so that we can go out and see others' lives change with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Changed lives, changing lives. Come on, somebody. That's what it's about. That's what we're called to. That's the word he's given us. Here's what he says in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. Some of you are like, Pastor, I need that new perspective because I don't like what I'm hearing uh, right now. This is what Jesus talked about for his followers. He said, I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to this world anymore, just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus talking to the Father, I'm sending them into the world. Such a powerful part of Jesus' prayer, he prays for his followers right before he's crucified and dies on the cross. Do you see what he says here? He says anyone that follows him, he says the world's going to hate them. It's because they don't belong to the world anymore. Do you realize that what happened to you is that you were transferred from darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God. And when that happened, you're now in this world, but you're no longer of this world. You're new. You're different. You are a changed life. And because of that, there's going to be a ramification. The world won't respond as well to that because your priorities are now shaped by the kingdom, not by this world. The way you live your life is now in line with the kingdom, not in line with this world. And whenever a push comes to shove, you're choosing Jesus, not choosing anyone else here or anything else here. That's what it means to be kingdom living. It means that you're living into your identity as a citizen of the kingdom of God and a child of God. And here's what Jesus says. There's going to be trouble. The world's going to even hate them. And he says, Father, I don't ask you to take them from the world. Some of us, we just want to get out of here before it gets real bad. We're like, Lord, just hold it back. Jesus isn't praying that kind of prayer. He's praying this, Lord, don't take them out of the world, but would you just protect them in the midst of it? As everything else is becoming shaken, Lord God, would your hand just be over them, Father? And would you keep them from the evil one? And I want you to know that our God is a faithful God, and he answers that prayer. As you cling to him, he may not take you out of this world, but he will protect you in it. He'll keep you in it. And I want to tell you that's the safest place to be is in the will of God, the safest place you could stand, the surest footing. Because I I want to tell you that you have been born into a time, into a season where a lot of things are being shaken. God has given you the ability to live in this time. And if you're living in this time where everything's going to be shaken, the good news is you don't have to be. You don't have to be shaken by all the things that are happening around us. God's word promises us that he can protect you and keep you from that. I'm going to invite Pastor Rick to come and the worship team. Praise God for that. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27 says it like this, talking about what's going to come. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed. Ultimately, there's going to be just a deterioration as we get closer and closer to that day when the kingdom is seen and when Jesus returns and when we see him face to face. He says, everything in creation is going to be shaken and even removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Verse 28, here's the good news. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Do you realize that everything in this world, every kingdom of this world, 
everything that we may have put our hope and our desire and our dream in, everything we find our comfort in, if it's something physical, something material, everything that we can cling to that is in Christ, is in his kingdom, that it will be shaken, the Bible says, and it will even be removed so that only what is unshakable will remain. And it will be in those moments that your foundation will be revealed. Because what you're standing on today, if it's shakable, then you'll become shaken when it's shaken. But if you're standing on what is unshakable, then it doesn't matter what happens around you because it isn't going to change what's happening in you. It is not greater than what has happened to you and in you in Christ. Think about Paul and Silas worshiping in a prison cell. Think about them. Their whole world should have been turned upside down. They're behind bars. They weren't shaken. Instead, as they prayed and worshiped, the whole ground around them was shaken, and they found freedom. That's what will happen as we follow the Lord, as we go into this time where I know that the world around us is just becoming more and more shaken by all the things that are taking place. And I want to tell you that if you're standing in Christ, if you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, if you're turning them with everything that you have, and if you keep your eyes on him, you won't be shaken. Here's what it says in Psalm 16, 8. It says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. When you stand with Jesus, and when you stand for Jesus, you won't be shaken. And you know what happens when everywhere that you go, you don't have and you're not shaken by the things that are shaking this world? Do you know what you become? You become an agent of hope in this world. You become someone that brings the love of Christ and the hope of the good news of what Jesus has done into all these places that are being shaken. And when people see you, they say, why doesn't this shake you? You say, because I have a hope that is an anchor that holds me. It's greater than whatever's happening around us. That today I have a God who is unshakable, a God who cannot be flapped, a God not going to be overcome by the circumstances of this life. And so I'm unshaken. And you know what happens? They find hope in you as you go. I want to tell you, some of you think that the days are growing darker and you think about it and if you've been given more than 30 or 40 or 50 years in this world, you say, man, we're living in a different world. It's growing darker and darker. But I want to tell you, I believe that this is going to be the cusp of one of the greatest revivals we've ever seen. Because the darker it gets, the more these things happen, the greater our opportunity is to shine like stars in the night, church. And the world will see the light of Christ in us if we're willing, if we're willing to step into it. But here's what Jesus warns will happen. Verse 10, Matthew chapter 24. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. This pressure and the things that are happening, the complacency that I believe has filled so many of our hearts and lives, whenever the pressure then comes and we're filled with complacency, it's easier just to give up and to turn away than it is to press in and to take hold of what the Lord has for us. See, I believe that over time, it's just been conditioning us to get ready. The farther we've come away from it, the farther we've kind of drifted from stepping into what God has for us, the more like the world we become, the more shaken we become by these things we're putting our hope in that aren't the things that God has called us to hope in. When they become shaken, we'll become shaken as well. Do you know there's a part of this world, it's right here in the United States, it's called the Four Corners, and many of you may have been there before, but there is an actual place where there are four places, and I'll put it here. It's like a grid. It's at the corner of some states, right towards the end of my slide deck, that you can actually stand in four states at once. And as you stand, there's a picture of a kid that's doing it right here. He's in four places at once. 
I want to know. I want you to know, though. This this gives me this picture of I think what can happen in so many of our lives, is that the Bible says we've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. But I think for some of us, that's not the way it's happening. Instead, we kind of are just keeping one foot in each world. We're we're still living over here when it's comfortable, and then you know on Sundays we we get over here a little bit. But we're kind of straddling the line. We're trying to be in two places at once. And I want to tell you. Could you imagine with me that you would stand in an unshakable place and then in the other place there's an earthquake happening? Eventually, you're just going to fall apart. It's going to rip you apart. And I want to tell you that there's going to be a time that's coming with more and more intensity of these events that if you're standing on the fence, if you're only half in, if you only have a foot in the kingdom and a foot in this world, you're going to run a great risk. That in those moments, you're either going to fall one way or the other. And today's the day. Today's the call. Go all in for Jesus. I know that you've asked him to save you of your sins. I know you may have asked him and you've called upon him and said, Lord, I need your forgiveness. But have you made him Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to him completely? Have you said, Lord, I've given up on those other things. And Lord, I'm here for you and you alone. Today's the day for you to take hold of the unshakable kingdom that God has brought you into and to not stand on the fence anymore. So would you stand with me today? And wherever it is that God's speaking to your heart, today's the day for someone, for someone to step into God's kingdom. Today's the day for someone to make Jesus Lord and King of their life and to really surrender their life and the sin and the wrong choices they've made. For others, it's time that God wants to shake you free from complacency. He wants you to put your eyes back on him so that you can be unshakable. And so I'm going to pray for you today. And today's the day of response for you. You know where you're at and you know what God's speaking to your heart. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now, Lord God. I pray for each person, for every brother, for every sister, Lord God, for every mother, for every father, Lord God, for every person who's lived, for every grandparent, Lord God, who's in this house today, Lord God. Lord, they've seen generation after generation. They see the darkness and the difficulties of this time. Lord, we see your word. It's clear. Lord, we see them. With greater intensity, the events happening, the things you said would be signs, would be birth pains, Lord God, of you returning. And Lord, may they be reminders to us today, Lord God, for us to shake off complacency, for us to do the work that you've called us to do in this world. Lord God, make us agents of hope. Lord God, help us everywhere we go to bring the hope and the goodness and the light of Jesus Christ into dark and shaken places, Lord God. Lord, I pray that hope would rise in the hearts of many, Lord God, and that you use each one of us. Lord, may we not shrink back. May we not turn away, Lord God. But may we draw strength from your presence today. And Lord God, may we walk in confidence to do exactly what you've called us to do. Lord, there are conversations that need to happen, Lord God. There are people that we need to talk to, Lord God. There are those that we become complacent with, that we've stopped sharing your love with, Lord God. May this be the year. May this be the day. May this be the month that they come to know you as Lord and Savior of their lives, Lord God. Lord, I pray for those who had unsurrendered areas of their lives, areas that they've held back in, areas that they have not fully given you access and lordship to, Lord God. May today be a day of surrender in this house and may your freedom sweep over them. Lord, we just call upon your name today, Lord God. Lord, we look at the signs of the times and we won't be afraid. We won't be shaken, Lord God. You said we can expect it. Instead, we draw strength from your presence. Holy Spirit, fill us. Make us bold. Make us empowered to do what you've called us to do in this world, Lord God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen.